the front to the back, from the F to the B, from the M to the E. You know where we be at the check-in. You know what we're doing at the check-in. You know who we are at the check-in. Hello, what's happening, friends? Welcome back to the check-in, where we bring you our take on news and updates from the industry. We are your hosts. I am Asis Jubang. And I am Graham Sproul. And as always, the show is split into three segments, starters, main, and desserts. For starters, we give you a rundown of some industry news that's picked our interest this week. For mains, we take a closer look at a key topic of interest in the industry today. And for dessert, we leave you with a story that is short and sweet. So with no further ado, let's get you all checked in. For my um, appetizer, I wanted to discuss... uh, well, an article I came across, it's called Five Tips for the Summer After COVID. Mm. Uh, so um, this is, you know, I, I think um, people can see now, thank goodness, that it seems to be the, you know, that we're he- heading towards the end for good of the uh, two-year era of COVID. Um, uh, fingers crossed, because I know we've had a lot of false starts before. Mm, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, knock on wood, right? Anyway, this article is is pretty much just discussing uh so what is it that people in the hotel business, I guess specifically, but I'm sure a lot of this could even uh relate to hospitality more generally, like what do we need to do now? Like what are, you know, with this summer that we're finally free of the covid restrictions. Um so the first thing is you know, it says get back to real marketing. You know, they said avoid OTAs because, of course, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, the OTAs, they, they, they take a big uh, percentage of the money from, from, you know, hotels when you book through them. Uh, yeah, and I admit I'm guilty. I, I book through them sometimes, <laughs> often most of the time. So I'm a hypocrite. Um, but, uh, you know, but, you know, what it says, focus more on your local community and building up loyalty with customers, repeat business. So try to reach out to your guests directly. Um, the second thing is the pandemic has not eliminated uh, short-term rentals. So I think that's a trend I've discussed a lot. You know, the fact that now short-term uh, short stays are, are kind of, you know, the, uh, yeah, they sort of subsided, but there's still a big demand for, for short-term rentals, you know. People yeah. always need a place to, to live for a while and um, make sure you learn to survive with lean teams. So a lot of these hotel businesses are going to try to keep their staff trimmed as they were through the pandemic. They'll say, Hey, we're max, we're, you know, minimizing our expenses. And this, I think we, you know, when we, you and I discussed this a little bit before, but focus on uh, Trevpar instead of Revpar. So total revenue per guest instead of per room, that's kind of a, a new thing. I think that's kind yeah. of interesting and also what is your brand done for you lately so you know um last 18 to 24 uh, months last two years um you know what are the fundamentals that have kept your brand strong at the time and keep focusing on them so uh, i think these are all really mm. good tips and yeah take yeah it. no no it, it is um especially when you touched upon trev par now 
like I said to you last time, Trevor is is still fairly new to me because I remember the first time I read about Trevor was about last year during the whole COVID or just before COVID started. And it just makes so much sense now because Trevor is essentially, it takes into consideration every single thing within the property itself. Whereas Revpar, as you know, only focuses on revenue per available room, Revpar. Now, Trevpar itself, it just makes more sense. And I think that is the way forward in terms of, you know, just to see how a particular hotel is performing instead of just how its rooms are doing. Because especially with resorts, you've got so many different options and you've got more of an of an understanding of the of a particular guest's wallet share, as they call it. So instead of just focusing on the room, you can take a look at, you know, how the room, you can take a look at the spend in the restaurant, you could take a look at the spend in, oh, I don't know, the spa, you know, there's so many other option, options and other areas within the property itself that that's sort of just been I wouldn't say it's been missing out, but it's just been sort of fragmented over the past few years, mm-hmm. you know? So instead of having everything consolidated, which Trevpa does, back then everything is just, you know, rest yeah. F&B's got their own thing. Um, the leisure's got their own thing. The rooms division got their own thing, which doesn't make much of a sense now that you look at it. So mm-hmm. Trevpa, I think, is the way forward, I think. So yeah. boom, I think uh, that's what we need to say. It's, it's interesting how, how revenue management evolves this way. Um, you know, like back in the old, old days, all they cared about was total revenue. They didn't even do it per yeah, room or yeah. per customer. So it's, it seems to be getting more and more sophisticated. So it's interesting. Yeah. No, it is brilliant. Right. So now my starter now, my friend, my starter is an announcement. And obviously I got this from my beloved hospitality net. And it is an announcement. So basically it's called caravan and it's introduced by the brand Habitas. Now, for those who don't know, which myself, because I've only heard of Habitas recently, and Habitas itself is a hospitality management group and it operates hotels and its flagship location is in Tulum. And they've got properties in Alula, which I think is in Saudi Arabia, and they've got property in Namibia as well. So this brand that they've got coming now is as i said it's called caravan and in their press release they describe it as inspired by burning man habitas launches a new travel experience caravan by habitas for travelers seeking adventure exploration and bringing out your inner child in raw nature now obviously that just sounds cool just (laughs) just by listening to that and the concept is essentially just luxury caravan i think because it is not one of these tacky caravans that you see down the m4 when you're driving um the caravans they're using is that old you know that american style silver car silver metallic looking caravan i think it's called airstream i think it's called but anyways yeah so that's the type of caravan they're using luxury stay so it's obviously not your tacky caravan as i said it is a luxurious caravan and Moving on forward into the press release, they also describe it to say the 22 caravan rooms are Chick Airstream, offering a variety of scenic views that are equipped with a private outdoor deck, air conditioning, Wi-Fi, and a queen-size bed or two single beds, of course, an indoor lounge, a kitchenette stocked with snacks and private shower and bathroom. The caravan rooms 
also feature a variety of hidden details such as coloring books, disco lights, and a sound system, curated books, theraguns, and scalp massages that exist for no greater reason than to <laughs> ensure you have fun and stop taking life too seriously. Now, that is a nice take, I think, they're, um, they're putting on this whole experience because that's that's what it is it's, it's an experience because from what i've read they've actually got the actual brick and mortar luxury building in alula that's there and then the caravan is sort of an addition so if you're staying at the hotel for a week or so and you fancy spending the night or two nights outside book your caravan go chill outside and enjoy nature as they say what do you think yeah well um is this is this kind of related in any way to the whole um, kind of glamping um, phenomenon, you know, like camping, but in a glamorous yes. way, which is where that word comes from, I believe. But Yeah, no, actually it is. That is a very good point because over the past, well, past year or so, especially during lockdown, glamping has just blown up and everybody has been, well, I say everybody, but a lot of people has taken to glamping. So instead of obviously because of the lockdown, you know, people have been in bubbles in England anyways, People have yeah. been in bubbles. So instead of traveling all over the place, which we can't do, the only option people had would be glamping. So as a result of lockdown, as a result of bubbles, as a result of social distancing, glamping has just taken up. And I think this is just more of an evolution of glamping, really. And yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, the reason I ask is just just a real uh, quick story, if I can add on to that, is, um, mm. you know, when I first heard that word, and I think this is part of that whole this sort of glamping phenomenon, um, you know, so it's like camping, you're out in the wilderness in a trailer or a tent, but it's in very luxurious uh, surroundings, you know, they might have like a television in this tent, uh, you know, Persian rug, um, heating, <laughs> or in yeah. the van, or, you know, in the caravan, you know, in this case. And um, so, uh, yeah, as actually some, um, when I was working hospitality out in Western Canada, I, uh, uh, made some friends that were working there from Mexico, um, place called, uh, they lived in a place called Soyuz. And uh, yeah, after they went back to Mexico, they, they shared with me this, this glamping company in Tulum, actually. And they said, oh, have you ever heard of this? It's really cool and stuff. And so um, I guess what I gather from your story is that it's now, I don't know if it started there, but it obviously was a hotbed of it. It seems to be gaining traction you know even internationally with this company. yeah it's, it's more really mainstream now i would say it is more mainstream yeah. i mean like i said it, it did sort of take off during the whole lockdown and i think obviously with social media and people being stuck at home and you know mostly on social media people have seen what glamping is people have seen what it looks like and what you know the benefits and the possibilities of it so i think that's why it's gaining traction and it is becoming mainstream it really is becoming mainstream because glamping has i would say it has literally been the lifeline for some other hospitality properties you know those ones that have the space to provide glamping facilities or glamping stays it's really been wonderful for them so yeah it's right glamping is just going to keep increasing in popularity i think moving forward yes so now we move on to the uh, entree portion of our program uh and you know as <clears throat> as a uh, you know sad the story is i almost 
uh, hate to discuss anything related to the issue. We, I think we have to uh, address the elephant in the room, which I think everyone's hearing about to some extent, which is, you know, the um, conflict in Ukraine. And, you know, there doesn't seem to be any um, industry uh, that hasn't been affected by this. Um, in the, you know, uh, and, and hospitality is no exception, um, sadly. Um, it's just, you know, the world as it is. So um, one, uh, you know, uh, two, two news stories that I, um, uh, I actually found, found two news stories in this respect that caught my attention. Um, and actually we kind of discussed this um, a little bit last week uh, when this came out, it was on March 7th. Um, yeah. So just last week uh, that the story came out, which was uh, UNWTO. So that's the World Tourism Organization. I believe it's part of the United Nations. Yeah. Uh, Executive Council. So UNWTO Executive Council to consider Russian suspension. Uh, so yeah, this was, this was um, the session was held on, in Madrid on March 8th. And it was at a request from countries of Guatemala, Lithuania, Poland, Slovenia, and not surprisingly Ukraine for the suspension of the Russian Federation uh, from the membership of the UNWTO. So it was an emergency session uh, in accordance to their rule 3.4 council's rules of procedure. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I, I mean, I think this just goes to show like how much, you know, this is, this whole conflict has, you know, affected, um, uh, business all around the world and, and even, you know, uh, the institutions of hospitality. Yeah. Uh, so just to finish off this story, I think, um, uh, it's, it's, so it says that it's statutes. If, so if you want to know the grounds that Ukraine and these other countries are making this request that, that Russia be suspended, um, it says here in article, article three of the UNWTO statute state that the fundamental principles of the organization are the promotion and development of tourism with a view to contributing to economic development, international understanding, peace, prosperity, and universal respect for and observance of human rights. So I guess that's the, the, the grounds that they're, they're citing here. Um, yeah. I'd be sort of curious to know if there aren't members that, you know, they could have held sessions for other members that have had less than a squeaky clean, you know, record on, on those things. But perhaps all it is, is that there's never really been a, it's just, this motion's never been brought up before, you know, um, it's such a conservative campaign of economic pressure that they're trying to push every possible lever, uh, you know, against uh, Russia to kind of pressure them uh, over this conflict. Um, yeah, and then it just goes on to say that the UNWTO has unequivocally condemned the actions of the Russian Federation, noting that they are a clear <clears throat> breach of Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity contrary to the principles enshrined in the UN Charter and UNWTO statutes. So, um, you know, that that was an interesting story. And then there was also, and I think this this is a, uh, you know, it definitely ties into it. Um, well, it's, it's from the um, Ukrainian Association of Hotels and Resorts, but then it was yeah. kind of taken up by affiliate organizations, like some group called the Hospitality Finance and 
technology professionals, which is, a, you know, in the U.S. So mm. they also they came out with a press release. Um, Ukrainian Hotel and Resort Association urges US, U.S. based tourism and hotel associations, as well as the broader tourism community, travel authorities and bodies to lobby for mandatory restrictive measure, measures to the Russian tourism and hotel industry. So expel Russia from the OMT. Uh, I'm not even sure what the OMT is, but I assume it's an international body. Yeah. Uh, it's expel Russia, Russia from IATA. That would be a big thing. I think we, we all know what IATA is. Uh, urge global OTAs um, like ExpediaBooking.com, Airbnb to discontinue their services to the Russian territory and for Russian entities and individuals. That's pretty encompassing. I'm not even sure how you would know that's Russian individuals uh, that you're targeting unless they log on from a Russian IP address. But um, yeah, that would that, be tricky to police. Yeah, maybe. I'm not really sure. Anyway, I suppose that he's calling for it and then urge international wholesalers and tour operators such as hotel beds uh dotw not exactly sure what that is sun hotel travco and to end any type of relationship uh and service to russian tourists and business units um yeah that's it and then it just says you know the the association of hotels and resorts of ukraine is an independent voluntary non profit public organization uniting hotels and resorts operating in the Ukrainian market. And then the organization that actually promoted this in the U.S., which is kind of how it got more publicity, is the yeah. Hospitality Financial Technology Professionals headquartered in Austin, Texas, with offices in the U.K., Netherlands, and Dubai. So, yeah, it's, um, it's yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's really amazing how quickly um, all of this is... Um, kind of snowballing and um yeah yeah sorry did you did you want to jump in yeah i mean in, in in terms of these things snowballing i mean first and foremost looking at the hospitality industry in ukraine i suppose at this point is pretty much no point in trying to think of the ukraine hospitality industry but in terms of russia and the implications this is having on hospitality in russia i mean when this whole thing started, you've got Western companies all just pulling out of Russia mm -hmm. in every way possible, in every way imaginable that a company can. They've all been pulling out of Russia. And the implications that has on the hospitality industry, well, tourism in Russia, it's, it's just going to slump. And it's the people who are going to suffer for all of this. I mean, you've got the hospitality employees that have no work, effectively. Because if all the flights have been banned going into Russia, if all Western and almost the whole world have stopped flying into Russia, then there's no tourism. And as a result, there will, there, there's hardly going to be anybody staying in hospitalities or benefiting from hospitality. Mm -hmm. So again, it's just the hospitality people and just the average Joe in the street who's just working, who's just trying to make ends meet that mm -hmm. eventually suffer through all of this. Mm -hmm. And there's not much they can do from their end. Mm -hmm. that I well, think of. So it is yeah, well, terrible situation. You know, my, yeah, good point. Well, my, um, just to follow up on that, you know, my um, kind of thought on it is, you know, I think a little bit about the Beijing Olympics, a similar situation, you know, I mean, at first, you know, my inclination, like a lot of people, you know, I want to do the right thing is, yeah, yeah, let's boycott, let's boycott the Olympics and stuff. But then I sort of 
the more you think about it, the more I kind of thought, well, but is it really going to change the behavior of the government, you know, of China? Or is it just going to punish the athletes, you know? And sometimes I wonder with this, you know, it, you know, I... You know, I'm the type of person I, I I want it to have an effect. I don't want it just to be a good intention or virtue signaling. Like I want it to have an effect. Is it going to add more pressure onto the Russian government, or is it just going to punish you know um, just ordinary Russians in the hospitality industry who may have no connection with Putin or the Russian government? I'm sure some do. I bet you. You know, I kind of understand it more. You know, if you have um, I know a lot of these Russian oligarchs who may be close to. The Russian government uh, have vast holdings in uh, hotels and things. That's a that's actually a good place to put your money because you get a bunch of tax breaks and things. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I don't know as far as as you know ordinary hospitality workers that are Russians. You know, I you know I'm not too too sure. Um, but the one geopolitical um, aspect of this that's more interesting is that. Russia's never really been a big, in my opinion, a big uh, tourism market. You know, you think of where you want to go, you think countries like France, Spain, Greece, etc. Russia's never been. And the truth is, is that Russia's sort of suffered sanctions on a much smaller level for a long time. So they've sort of been trending to Russians going to, you know, places like, um, uh, you know, uh, Crimea or... Yeah, and in the um, Middle East as well. Yeah, like sort of, well, going to, within Russia. But Yes, you, you, you've just entered the point I was making is where, where I think Russian tourism has had a huge effect. And even on a geopolitical stage is um, the UAE, um, there's been an uproar that the UAE and some of these countries abstained from condemning Russia at the United Nations. And a lot, uh, I mean, it wasn't the only factor, but one huge factor that there are a lot of Russian tourists to, in the UAE, like as workers, as tourists, mm. and UAE doesn't want to drive that tourism. They're like one of the biggest markets. So, well, Russia's maybe not a huge hospitality market for people going to Russia. Russians are starting to become a big market for certain countries like in the Middle East, like UAE, like Turkey. So that's where, you know, all of this could be more interesting in terms of its effects. Yeah, no, um, th that's a very good point. And it just brings a whole host of uncertainty as well. I mean, if you look at all of these sanctions that's the, that the Western world is putting on Russia, is putting on the government, is putting on the oligarchs, again, that also might have ramifications for us. And I suppose from our point of view, is that something we are ready for? ramifications of, of all those sanctions because as you've mentioned yourself in the middle east for example russian tourists flood the middle east in turn mm -hmm. they're bringing money they're bringing yeah. money for the economy again same thing with other parts of the world that the russians do flock to i mean look at the oligarchs yeah they've got money we know where they get their money <laughs> from we know how crooked and co you know yeah. some of them yeah. are but at the end of the day they do bring in money for the economy one way or mm -hmm. another you know the west has been sanctioning and a lot of us are going to start feeling the pinch of yes. that you know yeah. and is that something we're willing we're ready for yeah. is it yeah. something we're willing to accept yeah. that's another yeah. question as well just 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 like with the price of uh uh you know gasoline or petrol yes, yeah. now having a boomerang effect there's definitely going to be some boomerang effect that so one would hope that these bodies of hospitality and tourism have carefully factor that in and discuss this um as well you know so well to carry on 
with this with the same thing really mm-hmm. um i found this article on hospitality net which was written by jonathan worsley and it's essentially a letter to the industry a letter to his colleagues and it's titled we need hotel rooms for displaced families and just to give you well just to sort of set the groundwork of what he's talking about here and he starts off with dear industry colleagues I am writing to you to see if you can help us find hotel rooms to support some of the despairing families who have been displaced recently due to the ongoing war in Ukraine. If you or anyone you know is able to assist, feel free to share or forward this article. We are looking for room contributions from hotels operating in Austria, Germany, Hungary, Moldova, Poland, Romania, Slovakia, and the Czech Republic. And he goes on to talk about this new initiative, essentially how the war in Ukraine has affected the industry and the impact that's had on the hospitality industry as a whole, as one hospitality family, and how hospitality is responding to this and what we're doing to help in our own way. Yeah, so it goes on to say, hospitalityhelps.org has been created by a handful of hospitality industry veterans to facilitate the hotel industry in making rooms available for those who are seeking shelter and have been displaced from Ukraine. Dozens of families have already sought refuge through this initiative and hundreds are expected to be accommodated in the coming few days. So this has just shown that this particular initiative, this hospitalityhelps.org, again, it just shows what hospitality has been doing throughout human history, should I say, right? We just helping in the best way we can because all we've got at the end of the day is just four walls and a window mm-hmm. and that is something we've we've always been good at when it comes to sheltering when it comes to you know taking in the needy taking in those who need to be taken in i mean in recent memories that i can remember when covid struck i remember i was behind the desk in the hotel i was working when covid started in march and I, I remember I was behind the desk talking to a colleague and she told me, oh, yeah, my my friend in a hotel that's directly opposite the hotel I was working in, which was a best Western hotel. Uh, apparently, she told me that that hotel was closing down and they were using their rooms as an overflow for the near hospital for a hospital nearby. That's that's just got too many covid patients that need extra bedding and the whole and the, and the hospital was just fully was overflowing. And. Again, that was a Best Western. And I have to put my hands up and say Best Western has been the first hotel brand that I've heard of throughout this whole pandemic that actually turned around and used their properties for an overflow for COVID patients or use their properties to house um, key workers, to, to, you know, to house everybody that needs to be housed at that particular point. And straight after they did that, you've had other brands that, that came up doing the same thing with a shame in initiatives. And I remember straight after that, we had Aqua Hotel. They, they came up with giving safe space for women who were being abused at home. You know, so this is something hospitality has been doing throughout human history for as far as, for as long as we can remember, because that's what we do. We care, we take in people with only our four walls. But what I want to get across is that Hospitality is beholden to the macro factors, and in this instance, is government policy. And to bring it back down to England, for example, I mean, in this article, you 
yeah, he mentions countries like Austria, Germany, Hungary, Moldova, Poland, and they have opened their doors to these poor people that are just trying to find shelter. And they've opened their doors. Their governments have opened their doors and let everybody, well, have and just let as many people in as they can. But our government in England hasn't done the same, right? Our government in England, I remember when this whole thing started, we gave about, I think it was 50 visas to Ukrainians to come in. That went up to 3,000 visas. And now they've got this initiative, which essentially is they give 350 pounds, right? 350 pounds to normal people, normal families who have spare bedrooms, who have space in the room, in the house, who have spare houses, I guess, and who are willing to take in these Ukrainian refugees. So the government gives them 350 a month for six months as sort of a thank you. But the problem with that is, which is something they've just, well, we've just heard about today, I have. And that problem is that um, you've got local councils or local governments who are coming out and say, okay, well, you've got these, these vulnerable people coming into England and you've got just average people, the average household, the average Joe welcoming them into their homes. There has to be safety checks that the councils or the local governments say they just haven't got the resources and they just haven't got the time, energy, the manpower to send, mm-hmm. you know, to send their people into all of these houses to vet all of these people that are bringing in these vulnerable people. And that's yeah. just brought up a, a lot of kind of, that's just opened up a can of worms in a sense, mm-hmm. because you can see the intention behind it. But because of how government has been operating throughout all of this, it's just made life easier for UK hospitality. Because mm-hmm. coming out of this, the the only thing that I can think of, the only possibility I can see is bring them in and then just pop them in hotels where possible. I mean, mm-hmm. even better, just pop them in B&Bs, you know, pop them in mm-hmm. inns, in, you know, in your local hotels, you know, just help small businesses. It's only £350 a month, but that mm-hmm. will go a long way to help these B&Bs that have been struggling throughout the whole pandemic. Right. And in terms of safeguarding, in terms of if the room is suitable for these people, that's not a problem because that's all been laid out. That foundation Mm -hmm. is there. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what hotels are for, you know, and the fact that we've got this issue now where we've got. I don't know if you remember, but um, in Ukraine, they've banned men from leaving the country. So the only people that are fleeing Ukraine are women and children who are already the most vulnerable yeah right so if they're leaving a a war-torn country coming into england yes you know we've got some good samaritans but at the end of the day those good samaritans need to be vetted you need to check those people you need to make sure their houses are safe for these um for these refugees that are coming in Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that they've got i don't know the the usual fire alarms you need to make sure the doors are open they've got ventilation they've got Mm -hmm. toilets that work you know, mm-hmm. you don't need to go through all of that if you house them in hotels. Right, right, you know? yeah. So the point I'm trying to make in a long-winded way is that, yeah, hospitality is beholden to macro factors. And in this instance, UK government's incompetence mm-hmm. is just making the obvious just so much more stressful man it mm-hmm. needn't be so stressful you know just speak to mm-hmm. hotels i mean i think at the moment we've got about six thousand or nine thousand visas that have been approved if all of mm-hmm. those people come into the country today you need mm-hmm. about you know you're only the handful of hotels that 
can be able, you know, that can house all of those people in there. You know, mm-hmm. so the government will know where they are. You know, yeah. um, the, the the local law enforcement will know where they are. Local mm-hmm. councils will know where they are. So mm-hmm. all of these things can be taken care of if they just let hospitality do what it's mm-hmm. what it can do or what it does. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that's my well, rant. Well, yeah, um, I was just gonna say, like, and you've, you know, you've raised the point that I always like to go on about, which is, you know. Nowadays, you know, we think of hospitality as being, you know, nice hotel, you know, sort of nice hotels and nice restaurants to eat in. But fundamentally, if you look at the root word of hospitality in Greek, and I'm not even going to pronounce it here because I'm a typical Anglo who can't say it like hospitality. Anyway, the, the root word in Greek and Latin is actually like security. Mm. So it's more of it was more about giving travelers security. You know, you said a wall around them, a roof, uh, food to eat, and all those other things about it, a good menu and a comfortable bed. Those are all secondary. So yeah. now we're, you know, we're kind of reverting back to that. But, uh, you know, um, I just want to say another thing before I more address your point more specifically, which is, you know, it's interesting. We don't get a lot of news about what the situation is like, at least in the English media language about like in Poland and those places, like how are they coping with the flood in terms of giving them, as I just said, those basic things, shelter and food, you know, mm. the necessities of, of, to survive. Um, you know, I'd, it'd just be interesting to see what kind of strategies they're employing versus what UK and other countries are doing. Um, yeah. I know that one kind of heartwarming story is all these people, um, buying air you know renting airbnb places in kiev and ukraine um well who would want to go there it's a, it's, a, it's a war zone but they're doing it as a way to send money to ukraine because it's secure in a safe way uh whereas you know if you just donate through cryptocurrency you don't really know who it might be going to you know um no, no. but i will say you know and just just to quickly address your point um you know uh i know my um you know native country of canada um that's exactly what they did. They used hotels to house a lot of refugees from Syria, Afghanistan. And you're right. It was much easier because the facilities are already there. They're already safe. All yeah. those procedures, everything they need, there's no vetting required because, you know, they're an established company with all the policies and procedures. And, um, you know, it, it worked really well. I mean, the only way I can, the, the only thing I can think of is why the UK government might be pushing more of this billet system, which kind of harkens back to World War II and, uh, when when the British government was asking for it to bill it, you know, all these American soldiers, um, mm. you know, as part of the war effort uh, is, is because it's probably a lot cheaper than having to pay these companies for a room, even on a monthly um, lease um, arrangement. But um, uh, nonetheless, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if the UK is truly committed to this effort, they have to look at all options on the table. And, you know, there will be some, uh, we're talking about boomerang effects, there will be some positive spinoff, whereas this will help keep those, you know, hotels, help precipitate, bring business back, uh, having these long stay guests, these refugees there until they can fully recover from the pandemic. I know a lot of hotels in Canada actually were saved by housing these um, refugees because, you know, their short stay market was dead, you know, nobody was yeah, going after COVID. It so it's, you know, they have to look at, the benefits too, not just the cost. There is going to be a spinoff benefit that's going back to the economy for the, you know, hotel, uh, hospitality industry and hotel industry in particular. So, yeah, 
it's interesting to see how this develops. Yeah. Yes. So Brian Dessert, I uh, found this article. I thought it was just kind of, you know, a fun article, you know, kind of a happy one, which I think is what I try to find for this portion of the show. Mm. Uh, and it's a UK story. Um, it says, uh, Yotel to offer uh, free working space to local charities and nonprofit firms. So, you know, I, um, you know, I always go on, I know I always go on about how one area where I think that there's room for growth in hotels in terms of maybe diversifying their space and or interesting is this whole trend towards um, uh, co-working space, you know? Um, and it comes from this idea that I think one of the big effects of the pandemic is that people are working from home a lot more. And a lot of it's yeah. gonna be permanent. A lot of people are saying, forget this, all the cost of gas and commuting, like. Hey, I can get everything <laughs> I need done at, at home from my, my laptop. You know why, you know, a lot of people embrace this. Um, not yours truly. I feel too sleepy working from home, but uh, you know, <laughs> but for many people, friends, I know they embrace this. So that being said though, I, I, I really do believe, and I think this would be borne out by um, a lot of companies um, is that you still need to you do still need some face time where all the employees and workers of the company can get together maybe once a week or whatever they think is needed and so this idea of being able to have a space where you can just get together you know um with your colleagues so you know don't rent out a whole office a company because so many people are working from home but you could use like a hotel space convert it into like a um co-working space and you could have companies that just meet there with their, I think that's a good, uh, yeah, I think that's a good opportunity for, for, for businesses. Um, So anyway, this story, it's, um, it's in Edinburgh and uh, a few other cities. And in addition to what I just said, it's also about, you know, now that we're moving out of the pandemic, hotels are trying to, you know, reach out and build partnerships with local charities and show to the communities, Hey, you know, raise their profile and say, look, we're doing a lot of good to the community. And, you know, with the whole, also the whole trend of, of people uh, not traveling as much, it's becoming more popular staycations. This is when we say, Hey, this hotel does a lot of good in the community. Look how they're involved charities. I think I'd like to stay there. So, yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I think this is a perfect example of COVID or, or the pandemic just accelerating something that's already been going on or something that started and sharing space or utilizing your space differently or diversifying your space or your offerings is yeah it's just something that COVID has sped up because I remember in the last hotel I worked in we we started you know we started doing an offer where we would I think it was unlimited coffee I think yeah, we'll give, mm-hmm. uh, give you unlimited coffee, unlimited Wi-Fi, well, the, the high-speed Wi-Fi access. If you would come in, sit in the lobby or sit in the business center and just do your work. You know, we got printers, we got everything there. All you got to do is just come in, do your work, pay for your unlimited coffee, pay for the high-speed Wi-Fi. You've got printing, you've got stationery. You don't even need to go into your office. And if you don't want to stay home, you know, you want to be outside of the house, just come to the hotel. You've got different scenery. You can get your food. You know, you can get snacks, drinks. You know, this is something that has been 
going on for a while. It's been creeping in for a while, but COVID has just sped everything up to a hundred. And I think you know, it's great. You, you know what it's like, forward. Cassis, I'll, I'll, if I could just add this in really quickly, it's what retail that we're catching up to what retailers already know. So I don't know if you work retail, but, or you know anyone in retail, but there's many items in retail that they make no money on all these stores. So then I always ask my question is like, anyone, well, why do you sell these items if you don't even make any money off of them? You're just selling them at cost. And you know what it is? It's because, it's just to bring people in. They want you, to, they're hoping that you this item will just bring you into the store and that, you know, and, and it's not a bad model. And while you're in there, you'll start to see other things that they will make money on. So I feel it's the yes. same, same idea is you go in, yeah, you're not making, in fact, you might be losing a bit of money on coffee and letting people use your Wi-Fi for free, not much. But then you think, geez, this might not be a bad place to, you know, get a room one night if I'm working late or to bring in my call, you know, so it's the same idea, I think. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Because when you've, you know, when the guest comes in, they're a captive audience then, you know, like you said, they come in. Yeah, you might be losing money, but they might see something that's going to yeah. give you money. So exactly. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Right. So my dessert now, my dessert is a wonderful story if you're into tech. And Marriott, in December last year, created three NFC collections, right? These are art pieces that have been turned into NFC. But if you don't know what an NFT is, go out there, do a bit of research. NFT is the way forward. It is, you know, it is in line with crypto. It's in line with DeFi and it's in line with the future and the metaverse. So I have to say, I take my hats off to Mario because they are the first hospitality brand to take a step into the future in terms of NFTs, in terms of the metaverse, in terms of everything else, the future. So let me tell you what Maria has done, right? Let me tell you what their NFTs are. Yeah. So they've got three NFTs and these three are three art pieces created by three different artists. And I'm going to try to describe these art pieces each to the best of my abilities. So for our listeners, I will try to paint you a picture, but our viewers, you can have a look and tell us how beautiful you think these art pieces are. Right. So the first art piece is called Memoried. And this one was created by an artist called Tarek Mustafa, a.k.a. TX Rec or Tarek M. And the art piece is described as the art piece uncovers the magic and vision from new experiences. Each destination provides its own adventure with each experience logged into a memory that adds to the previous one as if they were connected. The digital art incorporates Marriott's Bon Voice Path connector as a pathway to the magical journey ahead and the peace of mind in staying at one of the approximate 7,900 properties within the Marriott Bon Voice portfolio. Okay, that sound, sounded a little bit like a, um, like a, market employee but either way it's a nice piece of art and it looks wonderful so the second art is called emotional journey and this one was designed by jared j richardson and the art piece is described as inspired by the ability of environmental travel to evoke different emotions whether seeking inspiration escaping reality or fulfilling one's curiosity to explore the digital art translates between three environments each expressing a different point in time from the forest where one can feel lost and the utopia where everything is perfect to the futurism which conveys a postmodern reality. Now that one looks, I'm not a big fan of that one, but the third one 
The third one is called Experiential In Between. And this one is developed by an artist called Eric Nikolai. Now the art piece explores the duality between the curated elegance of indoor travel experiences and the awe-inspiring scenic exploration of outdoor travel experiences. With Marriott Bonvoy as the final destination, the digital art merges his appreciation for interior design and love for external natural only made possible through 3D surrealistic depictions. So these are just three NFTs. They're three different art pieces that have their own feel, that have their own environment, that have their own emotions. And I am so sad that I haven't been able to get this because they look amazing and I'm jealous. But all in all, I am so happy that Marriott is the first to be leading the way into the future and I hope many, 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 many other hospitality companies, you know, take note and they just, you know, they, they just put their hats down and they just look to the future because hospitality has always been lacking when it comes to technology. We've always been left behind. So hats off to Mario for not being left behind, for actually taking a stand and saying, you know what, we're going to take a risk and we're going to go straight into this, you know, and it's only three NFTs. So, yeah. you know, it's yeah. not too big, yeah. but it's a start. Yeah. It's a start. Well, yeah, and I, I know, um, I, I think like a lot of people, uh, just a shout out to all those dinosauring out, if you remember, it reminds me of this metaverse of the game Mist and how far we've come from that 3D game. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think we're all a little bit leery of this. Um, if any of you are aware, familiar with the sci-fi writer Ray Bradbury, um, of coming a world where we're more hooked on our goggles than we are with the sun and the sunshine and you know, friends and family around us, like the, that's a concern, but let me just say, if I can, I know we're ending the, we're, our show's coming to an end, but, um, you know, with, with all the conflict and, and, and just difficult times, I think the world is going through right now, including the hospitality industry. Um, I think all of us could probably use a, wouldn't mind a vacation, this metaverse, you know, just escape from the <laughs> world for a moment, you know, um, so um, I think I think that's a frontier that absolutely hospitality has to go into. You know, it has to evolve in all all frontiers. So uh, thanks for bringing that. It's it's very interesting. Yes. All right. So with that being said, um, just like to thank uh, everyone, all of our listeners for uh, tuning in today. And um, without further ado, this is Graham here, and we will check you out. 